go with the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I am, of course, Eddie Cohn, the host, creator, producer of the Spiritual Spiral. Thrilled you're here today. I kid sometimes, but there are about 98 million podcasts. I think your neighbors right now are probably recording at least one or two. And you, through your own decision-making, not through an algorithm, have chosen to listen to this one. So I am thankful you're here and you're in store for a wonderful, inspiring conversation that I had a few days ago with Nicole Safani. I am, I think I've been intrigued with Nicole because she sort of mirrors this curiosity that I have, and that's the way technology and creativity um, cohabitates together sort of lives and breathes together. She's a senior director of marketing at Thistle, uh, which is a company that's creating, serving, making plant-based meals. But she's also a writer, um, fiction writer. She also writes amazing stories on Medium. She teaches a class at the Writer's Studio, which I would highly suggest you check out. Uh, It's an online writing class. And I think after speaking with her, I just I felt really inspired. I actually did something the last few days that I never would have imagined that I would have done, and that's actually start to write poems. I don't think I've written a poem in over 30 years. And I think just after listening to her, I was cutting myself some slack. I just finished writing a book that's going to be coming out early next year. It's my first book. I just put out a record a couple days ago, and I do feel this I feel like I'm being really hard on myself right now. I'm sort of demanding that I create and do something. What, you know, what's next? What do I create next? And the idea of writing a book feels so daunting. Uh, Writing a new record also feels daunting. So I sort of, I think I subconsciously was taking her advice and just trying to have fun with the process. So I, I found there to be a lot of ease in writing a poem. So I think that's something that I really uh, struggle with myself is just being easy on myself, allowing the creativity to unfold. And I really, this is sort of a huge subject of mine for the show that's been ongoing for years now, uh, or two years at least, the effect and impact that technology has on inspiration and creativity. And I think we, at least I believe that Technology, if we're not careful, can really um, minimize and shrink the creative spirit. That that those impulses of creativity that we that we rely on, I think, and 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 need as a culture. So I think it's really important to surround yourself with a nurturing, creative community. I think it's important to be patient with yourself. And I think this conversation with Nicole is going to be a great inspiration for you to remember the value of creativity. Um, I, I just, I really think these conversations are important to have and sort of add a little bit of, of perspective on the strange world that we live in right now, where technology is just sort of bombarding us every day. And of course, I'm not a Luddite, but I think it's really important to remind ourselves to take a break from tech. So um, great conversation. Again, you can find Nicole online at NicoleSafani.com. You can take her class at the Writer Studio, which you can find online. She's on Instagram at Safani C. And that's it. You know where to find me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My new record, Dystopian Days, just came out on all streaming platforms. So please listen Uh, If you dig the podcast today, please share it with your friends. Maybe consider writing a review on iTunes. And that's it. Thanks again, Nicole. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. And thanks to you for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I was going to say, my cats have a tendency of 
interrupting almost every one of my podcasts. So <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's a he g- will show up. Okay. Cool. How many do you have? We just have one. We have a Tonkinese and he's 16 years old. Okay. Wow. 16. That's great. I, I became my girlfriend. I used to be a dog person. And then my girlfriend about 12 years ago got me into cats. And I, I, I think I like cats more than anything in the world. <laughs> same here. Same here. I was thinking about getting a dog. And then I met my now husband and um, he had, um, you know, his cat Chester. And I just immediately fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a cat person, too. Yeah, especially during the the lockdown, I think we've actually grown even closer. It's it's crazy. They are just they have to be around us all the time. So that's been it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've definitely noticed that. <laughs> yeah, so many so many areas that I'm intrigued um, in just reading about you and knowing. I don't know if I feel like I saw you DJing an event. Or I never officially met you. I'm down here in LA, but I yeah. feel I feel like I was at one of your events, and maybe I didn't have the courage to say hello or something. But anyway, so um, I think just before I backtrack, I'm curious about just NA. Is NAC still alive and going? And I think are you the um, creator of the business? Yeah, so the marketing consultancy isn't really active right now. Um, it was for several years. I moved to the Bay Area to work for um, an app uh, called Chosen that was an early competitor to TikTok, and then um, it shut down. So that's when I started consulting. Okay. And then I went um, in-house at Thistle. Uh, they're a plant-based food delivery company, and I've been with them um, for a year and a half now. So, yeah, NAC hasn't really been operational. I still have the website. It's still, um, still there, still there. Maybe I'll bring it back again, but right now, um, yeah, I've just been focusing the, um, the marketing, uh, uh, work, uh, mostly on Thistle. Okay. And then talk, I guess the thing that's so intriguing to me, but we'll touch on this more is I feel like you're similar to me in the sense that there's this, you seem to have a strong awareness about the inter, with the intersection of technology and creativity. And so mm-hmm. um, on the other side, you also are working or teaching a class for the Writer's Studio. Is that correct? Yeah, so. yeah. Writer's Studio happened only recently. Um, it actually started because of the pandemic. We, um, you know, we're all at home and the level one class I took happened to be online through a chat. And normally they did it in New York. It was all in person. And they're like, well, everyone's at home. We're in the lockdown. So right. let's bring it online. So I was really grateful because I got to meet so many amazing teachers and and students um, from all over the world that way. So that's how it started. And that was, well, yeah, it started like 2019. And then 2020 was like when it really took off. Um, for me, I was just focusing so much time on it. And then um, they asked me to be a teacher just a couple of months ago and we had our first class last week. So yeah, it's been a trip. It's really fun, but it's just so fun how, um, and important how during, um, you know, times of, of crises, how creativity and creative outlets play a role in processing all of that. Um, for me, it was definitely like writing was a big one for processing everything that was happening in the world last year. And, and even now. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I spent um, the first year of the lockdown. Here I am talking about lockdowns and years, multiple years. I spent the first, it almost feels like the year, fin- uh, recording a record. And, yeah. and then I also spent like eight, the last eight months finishing, coming close to finishing my book. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's interesting because I also work for a market research firm. And we have a huge tele- couple television companies right now are huge clients of ours right now. And one of the questions that I ask so many people is, how many hours a week do you spend watching television? And they'll, they'll preface it by saying something like, oh, you know, because of the pandemic, I'm watching, you know, over 30 hours of television a week. Um, and so, and of course, they're judging them. I'm not, you know, lambasting them or yeah. criti- criticizing them, but it's their own sort of insecurity. But that is sort of something that I really hold on to is is being resilient and disciplined uh, to make the most of my time. And and I guess 
I think it's so easy to numb out on a phone all day and, and watch, you know, 15 hours of Hulu. I just watched the David Chang show on Hulu, which I love, and he's an amazing chef. And But I, I am very consciously aware of, uh, I, I have to resist the temptation to just numb out on my tech all day. Do you, do you, do you, yeah. do you struggle with that? Or is it something, I feel like we all do, but is this something that you're aware of? Yeah, for sure. And so I feel like, the balance is like striking the balance has been really important um, and being aware of it. So, you know, I love my Netflix and I'll just say, okay, like an hour of Netflix and then I'm done. And then I have to go write, I have to go. So, or do something else I have to, you know, read. So just being able to like set those boundaries with myself has been important instead of saying like, cause I've tried the approach of, okay, absolutely no television whatsoever. Let's just focus on reading and writing. And that just doesn't work because I feel like I'm not, allowing myself i'm just always challenging myself and resenting the work the creative work in a way you know yeah so it's just been about balance but yeah during the pandemic that's that one's been tough um and then even i want to say so when i first moved to san francisco so from la i moved to new york i was there for two years Uh and then i moved to um san francisco and then i started writing a fiction book and i was really television just helped me disconnect because there's a cat. (laughs) The television just really helped me um, just process during all the change. Um, So I got it. It was an easy way to just like numb and, and kind of, um, and, and um, relax at the end of the day when I was getting adjusted to so many things. So in 2016, I was writing a book and just conditioned myself to watch 30 minutes of friends you know, maybe an hour if I if I really, you know, felt tired or if I really wanted, you know, that would be the exception. And then I had to go write. And I had a very specific chair I would sit in. I had a specific playlist I would listen to. And I had a, a time where I would say, okay, at nine o'clock or by nine o'clock, I have to be in that chair. I have to have that playlist going. And um, I need to give myself at least 30 minutes or 500 words. And then I would write it down. I'd put it in a spreadsheet and, and say, yes, did I meet this goal? Yes or no. Along with other things. Did I meditate that day? Did I do, um, did I stretch? Did I get up before eight o'clock? You know, like all these little things just to set the frame of I'm doing the right things for myself when times are challenging. So when the pandemic, when 2020 hit and everything was starting to shut down and our lives were changing in that way, I felt prepared because I had a similar frame for dealing with change where it was like, okay, here's the framework that helps me feel whole from the mind body to the rituals and routines. And also how do I know when I'm falling a little bit? Okay. Am I binging on Netflix? Am I binging on sugar? Am I staying up late? You know, little things like that. So I could check myself and say, okay, that's a signal that things might be off. So if I'm aware of it, then I can deal with it. If I'm not exercising, if I'm blah, 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 you know, just being able to call those out, um, help me stay on the path towards productivity. So I could allow myself those times when I needed to um, take a little break from being so productive, but really just like at least getting the minimum amount in. Because if I would slide a little bit, then I wouldn't feel whole. And then you go into a cycle of, well, I'm not creating. I I feel bad about myself. I'm shaming myself. Therefore, I'm definitely not going to do it. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you can relate after the process of creating an album in in challenging times. It it does require so much discipline. Um, Yeah. For me, what really worked was just measuring it and and being um, generous with myself. Yeah, it's it's this strange emotional uh, roller coaster of of uh, it's it's weird. I f- I find it to be this this perfect paradox because it's so joyful, but also I I beat the hell out of myself like like emotionally. So it's it's really something that uh, it's hard to put into words. But it's an emotional roller coaster for sure. And, and the book, it, although we're still probably a few months away. Um, the, the, the beauty or the ease, quote unquote, of making an album is, you know, this is something I've been doing for 35 years in the sense that I've always been around music. I started playing when I was like three and, and a song is uh, three minutes and maybe four. 
and I I can sort of channel my my love of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, but but then. I have this way, and Beck, and I have this way of creating something that because it's me singing, I can make something that sounds like it's mine. With a book, though, uh, there's no band members to lean on. And of course, there could be an editor or my mother in this case. Uh, but but it's, it's this very lonely journey where I, I had no idea what the fuck I'm doing. And... Um, Although I, I have those moments in making music where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, deep down I, I have a strong instinct and, and I, I do feel like I'm a musical person. But when it comes to writing a book or even, you know, writing, uh, well, I, actually, I would compare writing a short story to a song. You know, it's, it's, it's like 10 pages or less or four minutes or less. But when you're dealing with a book of, you know, 50,000 words, um, I have never felt such terror and joy like in a creative project ever. So I'm sure you can relate to that. Yeah, that's so interesting because, yeah, I feel the same way when I'm writing because I've always been um, guided by a, by a certain tone that music brings where you know, okay, here's what the mood is going to be like. Here is, you, you can, even like for an event, like having DJed for a while, if I'm going to, go on a trip. I'm say I'm going to Japan. I'll say, okay, I need a playlist. And then I'll start to pull music together to get excited, you know, music for the plane, for the trip. Um, and that'll help shape the tone of, of the mental preparedness of, oh, okay, these are the vibes I'm, I'm going for. These are the things I'm looking forward to digging into when I'm there. Um, yeah. The book is just it's so funny when it comes to writing because you're inhabiting a different persona, even if it's a memoir or something that's coming directly from you, it's still really challenging because you have to strike that tone. You have to meet the, the, um, the reader in the place of, of, of what you're setting out to achieve, which isn't, there's no template for that. There's no, there's no real playlist. And, and then the thing that always strikes me so challenging is how long you have to hold the mask up for when it's not you. So in writing fiction, you're always, inhabiting somebody else you need to wear the mask and you need to hold that mask up for a really long time and it's hard when you let it slip then you start to go into your own voice so yeah creating that um that world and and that language is so scary i can i can definitely relate yeah well i was reading some of your pieces um in medium and you're you're a fantastic writer and I think the thing, Thank you. yeah, but well, and, and these were probably old pieces, but I think yeah. the thing that impressed me was your ability to make a point quickly. And I think that's something that um, it's, I might be actually uh, contradicting myself because I think we have a cultural phenomenon happening that I don't that I see that I'm not a big fan of is, and it's dwindling attention spans. Um, I just posted a video on Facebook of my last guest where it's sort of like this, this video of, of like a wave file while she's speaking and she's got, you know, thousands and thousands of followers. And I saw the met the, the metrics on Facebook where, you know, it got thousands of views. It's 59 seconds. And it said that the average length of, of viewership was 7.5 seconds. And it's it's a little, I get a little demoralized sometimes because I think to myself, as a creator, you know, what does it take to, to you know, without taking your clothes off or without just being completely ridiculous and being somebody that I'm not, it's sort of like, um, what does it take to get people's attention slash awareness in this dwindling attention span age and I guess you had this you have this way of writing I felt like you you make your point quickly and I feel like maybe John Irving wouldn't do very well today it's it's interesting or or because he he takes a long time to make a point or you know it, do you know what I'm saying? It's it's just I'm I'm struggling with with even coming up with a question, but this is something that I see and I'm trying to navigate. Yeah, or certain types of language, like really long, beautiful lyrical sentences. Um, there's something about that 
that doesn't, I mean, for, for readers, they're, they're more valuable than ever, but to attract new readers, I wonder if that's, that's challenging to, um, to have something that requires more time and investment. Um, yeah, it, it's so fascinating. I, I know that flash fiction is relatively new where you have stories that are somewhat shorter um, that can be published in, in different formats. Just thinking about Facebook and how, um, and how that's really, that's, that's grown a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's such a good point. I, um, I think about writers like George Saunders who are just so quick, quick and, and witty and they just get right to the point and they don't overthink it. I know for me, like as, as, as kind of a baby fiction writer, very much a baby fiction writer, I'm always trying to be grandiose. I'm like, oh, but the language, it needs to be. But to your point, maybe in today's world, it just needs to be short to the point and, and really um, making the assumption. I always try to make the assumption that the reader is way smarter than me, that they're just, you know, I'm, I'm just the humble person. I'm the, the servant who is creating something um greater than the sum of its parts very deliberately painstakingly that will be consumed in a mere fraction of a second um so investing that time into something that somebody can read they can pick up on and find value from right away i think that's that's such a challenge and yeah writers from um previous decades didn't have to have to struggle with that or maybe they did i don't know it's um <laughs> maybe the time frame is just gradually shrinking over time but yeah, the formats are changing now. It's it's fascinating. Do you think about it in the sense that I I feel um, I forget his name all of a sudden, but um, he, this this special on Netflix about the impact of of. Facebook on our culture. I'm suddenly forgetting his name, but um, I think he's up in San Francisco. He he refers to our culture as as a, as a as a downgrading, a human downgrade. And I don't know if I'm projecting. I, I don't know if I'm being negative, but it it feels like the world at large is rewarding um, quick snippets, quick bites. Um, the musical world is certainly, you know, I released a couple singles this last year and I, I did a remix, two of them, and, you know, we released them every few months. And I finally uh, released the record like a, a two or two weeks ago with, with nine songs on it. And because I still relish those those moments in my life of, you know, OK Computer, um, Sea Change, Wildflowers. I mean, these these are cornerstone records that shaped my super unknown that shaped I really believe they shaped who I am in this weird sort of way and I I I I, I don't know if I spend too much time thinking about our culture but it's certainly something that I'm curious in but I get a little discouraged and and I, I can see um, this podcast I need this podcast because I can tell People don't listen like they used to. And these are even my friends. I, I, I sense the distraction. I sense um, a shrinkage of, of, of people's brains. It feels like you really sort of seesaw this world of technology and creativity. Yeah, for sure. That was a great documentary. That was um, The Social Dilemma, yes. I think. And Colin, Netflix. I feel like his first name's Colin, but maybe not. I don't know. But yes. There was Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris. Yes, there we go. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an incredible documentary. And I thought it was just so fascinating how a lot of the um, the executives in it, I don't know if this was something I read afterwards or if they talked about it, but a lot of them don't let their kids use social media. They just don't let them use Instagram, Facebook uh, because of their um, addictive qualities. Um, yeah. And it's just so fascinating, everything that's happening there um, with the whistleblower and, and so forth. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it happens on both sides for the consumer and the creator. Do you find that you, when you're writing, you need to shut everything out 
because when you're writing, you probably have you're on your laptop or do you use um, pen and paper? How do you how are you able to block out distractions to create an environment where you can connect with that feeling of joy when you're creating? Great, great question. Um, I write on my computer, although when I write lyrics, I, I do have a journal that I handwrite. Um, I really, I, I give myself like hour blocks of time. Like I'm giving myself an hour because I know that I have to look at something um, after an hour. And I don't know if I'm, uh, if I should allot more time or less time, but I feel like an hour then, okay, five minutes of, of check email or, or pet my cats or something. One interesting thing though, knowing, cause I do have the ADD uh, tendencies. Um, I was writing a book and making a record at the same time. So what was really freaking cool was I'd spend an hour on my book and then I would spend like 45 minutes talk about a great like, okay, oh, I'm going to distract myself and go to my song and then go back to my book like that. It's almost like that I was creating a whole new world of, of writers, ADD heaven. It was, it was pretty cool. That's a really smart life hack. Yeah. So you just go from one to the other. And then if you want to procrastinate on one, then you go to the other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's um, such a great frame because you're creating no matter what. And yeah, I, I kind of, I do that a little bit with uh, like, if I'm practicing piano, I was taking before the pandemic, I was taking um, jazz piano lessons over at the, um, Berkeley, the jazz school in Berkeley, mm -hmm. which was so much fun. And then also I'm learning to sew right now too. So I think that's just having like multiple things that you can go to is, is really important sometimes if it, because it alleviates pressure off of the, the main thing. So saying you want to write a novel, it's just such a big goal and being able to break that off into bite-sized chunks. That's still really ambitious because, you know, a chapter is no easy feat. That's, that's still, you know, um, it involves a lot of production and then editing and the time involved with creating the structure and the flow of how everything ties together. Um, there's a lot there. So being able to take a break and, and, and make it productive is really great. And yeah, for, um, I, I always take a while to get into the creative mode where I'll say, okay, now I'm going to go clean this thing and now I'm going to feed the cat and now I'm going to, so yeah, I'm, I'm really good at procrastinating. So I'd say it probably takes me half an hour to get to the place where I'm ready to create and ready to get in the zone. And then flow state is such an elusive thing, but I feel that when I reach it, I'm, I'm, I'm in and I'm experiencing that joy where everything's coming together. There's no judgment. The work's just happening. Um, yeah, that's, that's the best. Yeah. I forgot about that. Sometimes it's weird. Like my last record came out seven years ago and when it was finished, I literally thought, that I wasn't going to do music anymore. And then I, I started teaching yoga. I started DJing around Los Angeles, um, which was such a joy. Very similarly to you, I, I love this idea of being curious. I, I think I used to live in this very shallow headspace or judgmental headspace where musician or die, you know, it's like just like that. And I guess we sort of live in this romantic world of, uh, you know, Kurt Cobain is like the ultimate artist, and and I, I, I he was a hero of mine. But then I started to think, you know, you don't have to be that extreme, or you don't have to only do one thing. You can pursue. There's many outlets to express yourself, and I think. Oh yeah, here was my point. So I didn't think I was going to be doing music, but then I felt this the, a calling to make this record. And sometimes that, that is the joy. Like, like I feel like I had no choice but to make that record. And very similarly to this book, it's a satire about our culture. I, I, I mean, I would wake up and I just, I had to put everything aside. I, I, I felt like I had no choice. So it's, it's, I don't even know if that's joy or or discipline, or I don't even know where those voices come from, but I, I, I think I, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting where our inspiration comes from. You knew that you had to do it. 
And then do, what do you create in the morning or at night mostly or both? Both. It, it's interesting. I am, um, again, I, I feel connected to a lot of things you've said or, or written. I am a health freak, not, not like obsessively con- impulsive about it, but I had a lot of health issues as a kid, um, autoimmune conditions. So um, I eat well, I make sure to sleep well. And I, I think I'm actually a morning and night person when it comes to it's it's just sort of like when I have the time, bam, I, I, I go. I'm 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 trying to create. Yeah, it just it all ties together. It's so great. And then where do you um what do you feel inspired the most inspired by? Um what do I feel most inspired by? I can tell that you used to be a podcaster because I, I love how you're turning it around and asking me questions. <laughs> That's a good question. I think because I came close to death at a, at a young age, um, I think that trauma of, of, of the fragility of the body, the fragility of life, I think I am inspired by the chaos and, the, and, and sort of the, the strange way our lives unfold. And I think, I think that's what frustrates me sometimes about the news media. It's like they have the answers. And it's so easy for them after the fact to sort of create commentary. Or I love sports and sort of all these people will call in to the local sports show after the fact. And, you, oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. And I think I just find it so funny because you know, when you're in the moment, even with meditation and yoga, it's like we try to breathe and we do all these things to try and prepare ourselves. But when you're in the moment of, of the turbulent life, of, of death, of, of, of not knowing, like that's what inspired. I think that's where I create from. How about, how about you? I, I do want to sort of go down the biography of Nicole a little bit. I, I'm curious, sort of, when did you... Did you become curious about creation? Was there a mom and dad? Was there a teacher? Were you always sort of curious? And then, and then of course, I'm curious about, did you ever want to become a musician or were you more just uh, inspired or intrigued by the emotionality that comes from listening to music? Because clearly music is a huge part of your life. Yeah, yeah. I grew up playing piano, um, played violin for a little while um, from what was it, like fourth grade to 10th grade or something. Um, Wish I would have stuck with all the things. But um, yeah, I was writing from a young age. And it's so funny. I feel like later in life, I only recently started reverting to all the things I loved to do as a kid. There was this middle period where I felt that I had to, I I just fell for the whole thing. I was like, oh, I need to climb a ladder and become successful in this professional way and that was the big shiny thing rather than you know let let's continue down the road of doing the things that I find myself naturally gravitating towards um and I am still trying to figure out why I'm still trying to figure out all of that but yeah so music's um something that's in my family um on my dad's side my grandparents parents were musicians. I even think like their parents were. So my grandmother's father was in vaudeville and my grandfather's father, what did he do again? He played, I, I, I knew this um, and I've forgotten. He was, he toured also as a musician. Um, my grandparents met when they were 15 in an accordion competition they taught music lessons for a living and they had a band. They played weddings, things like that in the Cleveland area. <laughs> um, they had a, um, a, a shop called Safani Studios. So they taught music lessons downstairs and upstairs um, was the family. Uh, my dad, uh, my aunt, my uncle, they all grew up playing instruments. Uh, my dad still plays piano, but he, yeah, he was in a band. He was in like um, a 60s funk band or something. Uh, but anyway, so my sister and I learned to read music before we learned how to read words. Hmm. And we started playing piano at a young age. And yeah, I mean, that's something that for me, um, 
has always just stuck with me, that language and rhythm of things. My dad played it. Um, he did a performance at our, um, at our wedding. He played a couple of songs and he played this song that I hadn't heard since I was a little girl, maybe even an infant, he, in the anecdote, when he was, he was kind of talking and singing, telling his storytelling. And he said, well, you know, I used to, when I was watching you, when your mom was at work, you were in your, in your um, bassinet and you would just look up at me and I would just play. And he started, he went into this song and it unlocked a memory in my brain of, I, I know that song. And it turns out it was a song that, um, it was a song that um, was tied to a music box I had as a little girl. And I had no, and I was just like, it just opened up the floodgates. So stuff like that. And even songs that he played um, when I was younger, um, just little riffs here and there, a lot of Vince Guaraldi, um, all kinds of jazz and, and, and soul and funk and all the things that he would um, play just, when I hear it now or when I hear a particular riff, I'm like, Oh, that's home. That's what I know. And similar to things my grandfather would play or my grandmother. Um, so yeah, we have that connection. And, and I think that's really helped in the last few years because we differ politically and Mm. that's been challenging for us to find a common ground where we can kind of communicate. So it's one of the reasons I started taking lessons again. I was like, well, how can I, reconnect with my family back in Ohio. And I found that music was the way that to take me kind of back and to give us that shared language again. Um, so I said, uh, so my grandmother turns 95 this year. She, this was in 2015. I just moved to San Francisco. My dad gave me a fake book of his and he said, here, you know, some of the stuff might help you You get a keyboard. You know, my grandfather, before he passed, he always said, Nicole, just get a little keyboard. It, It comes back quickly. My grandmother that year, I saw her at Labor Day, we went back to Ohio, and she said, next time I see you, I want to play a song with you. And she had this very abbreviated version of Rhapsody in Blue, and she gave it to me and says, play play this. We're going to play together at Christmas. And every time I spoke to her on the phone, we would talk like every other Sunday. She would say, how's the music coming? How's the Rhapsody coming? I can't wait to play with you. And I was so out of shape. So I hired a – I started working with um, a piano teacher – I brought her the sheet music and said, I need to learn how to play this by Christmas because right. she's counting on me. So we, um, we met once a week and we would just go measure by measure through the song. Um, I would practice on my little keyboard that, you know, didn't have, it didn't have weighted keys or anything. It was just, and I was in my Oakland studio apartment just trying to figure it out. Um, and then the day came where I went back to Cleveland she said, are you ready to go? I said, yeah. She said, okay, let's go. So we sat down at the at her piano, which is totally out of tune. And I still wasn't, uh, you know, I couldn't play it um, up to speed. And I was just missing all kinds of notes. But just that experience really was, I mean, that, that was one of the highlights of my life, just being able to play that with her yeah. and connect with her. Um, yeah, so I think not being a musician but always chasing music and chasing that feeling of connection is something I've always wanted to do ever since um, I graduated college. Just like, well, how can I bring that back? And it's only started to come back recently in different ways. It's not working in music licensing or writing about music or DJing or this or that, but it's, it's something else that's um, that's different now that, that is kind of bringing me back to where I started. What was the reason you came out to L.A.? Was it to sort of, because I think you went to OU or Ohio State or something, or? Yeah, I went to Ohio State for undergrad. Okay. I studied communications. Then I went to Emerson College in Boston and fell in love with the radio station there. Mm. And I had been doing radio um, at WBGU in, in Bowling Green, Ohio. Then um, the Ohio State, Ohio.fm, um I was working there, uh, and then when I moved to Boston, I was on ERS um, hosting the revolutions, the um, you know the um, electronic 
uh, Amos said EDM, but I think we called it RPM and EDM wasn't even really a thing then. (laughs) But in any case, yeah, it was like just, you know, electronic music. And that was really great. And I remember taking a music law class and thinking, this is what I want to do because I was studying web design and I loved that too. I I was studying um, media theory and when I, and so I moved to LA because I thought that um, that intersection could be interesting with music and digital media. Hmm. Okay. And then you got into the world of KCRW a little bit and started DJing out here. It's, it's yeah. Okay, okay, cool. How was, how yeah, was, KCR- how was that? Yeah, really great. I came to LA and Lisa Carr and the first thing I did was flip on KCRW and I thought, you know, I really, I, I want to work here. It doesn't matter. I'll work for free. I just, I have to, this is, this is it. And started volunteering on Garth Trinidad's show and just kind of like, you know, I volunteered on Ann Litt's show, on Jason Bentley's show. Um, I was on Garth's show for two years and I um, got a job there. I was working in the new media department for two years and it was great. I mean, yeah, those were the days. I, I really missed that. It was incredible working with the DJs and learning a lot from them. Yeah. I want to read something that you wrote really quickly, only a paragraph or so. Don't worry. Um, I've always figured that my collective failures were due to something that was inherently wrong with me, that I wasn't smart, tough, or curious enough, that I lacked drive or assertiveness, that I was broken and therefore unfixable. It's not hard to believe that these assumptions sent me into a downward spiral after each perceived failure. I would place blame and project shame onto everything I could. I became jealous and resentful, defiant and argumentative. Uh, And then after my marketing business became profitable, I began to earn some confidence back. And those few excerpts, paragraph, it's interesting how the quote-unquote profit gave you some confidence. And it's, I struggle with this, you know, and this is the world we live in now where everywhere I turn, you can see how many views, how many likes, how many followers. And I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm going to have a question for you, but I, I think it's just something that, you know, we we place quote unquote value, uh, you know, based on profits or based on more. And and I really connect here with what you were writing. And again, it's just something that I struggle with as a creator, as 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 my in in this place on earth, you know, where we create or or where we um, find self-worth from. Yeah. And the funny thing is we don't give ourselves credit for trying. Hmm. Just putting ourselves out there requires so much bravery. And there's just so much that we're not acknowledging in ourselves when we, when we take that leap and we make the investment when we're brave to show up for something new time and time again, because it interests us because we believe we can make a contribution there to have faith in ourselves to be like, okay, I'm going to keep showing up for this thing. That's hard. Um, yeah. It's, it's so funny how that social currency has become so important for so many of us in terms of validation. It could be monetary. It can be digital. It can be, you know, I feel so badly for younger generations who didn't, you know, who came up without, um, who didn't have the internet and, um, or excuse me, who, um, who did, um, have YouTube at a young age, Instagram now, TikTok. it's competitive. I mean, yeah, I, I'm just so glad. I'm so grateful that we didn't have any of that. Um, but the feelings are the same. It's still there. It's just shaped in a different way. I don't know, like maybe it's, a it's something more than a popularity contest. It's just, it's value. It's finding self-worth, which is weird because that's just how society teaches us um, to to contribute and how to belong and how to connect is through this, this sense of 
ambition and reaching that next thing, um, finding value, however it might be, um, in something so tangible as social currency or, um, or, I mean, for me, the job stuff, it was so funny because for the longest time, I always felt that I had to change myself to just for survival. And that felt weird. And still, I mean, I'm really grateful because I work for a really great company and I'm able to express myself creatively in a way that I feel where I'm getting closer to finding my voice. But yeah, it's, it's tough. It's just being able to disconnect, I think, is, is the bravest act of all, not even thinking too much about, well, you know, how many likes can I get on this thing or how much money can I make in the next year? Is that, it seems like that's the wrong North Star, but that's easy to say when you have those options. A lot of people don't, they need to, I mean, people need to make a living, right? Like that's the bottom line. We need to be, we want to feel connection. We want to feel belonging. All of those things are are so critical on the um, pyramid of needs. We need to be, we need to be striving, but how, we feel at the end of it might not be so great. So yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot there. For me, I think the failures looking back, they made me very resilient. Hmm. It's really strong. I can, if I'm in a period where things are challenging, I feel okay because it's been worse (laughs) or like in my mind, it's been worse. It hasn't necessarily been terrible. I've, you know, I've never had to, I've, I've had some times where I was like, okay, I'm going to have to move back to Ohio, move back in with my parents. If that's the worst case scenario, then I'm very, very lucky. And I'm grateful that, you know, I have that, that I wouldn't be out on the street or anything. But yeah, I mean, we, we don't have the, um, I mean, it's a, it's a luxury to be able to keep striving for those things. So yeah, at the end of the day, um, all the failures, for me have been something I, that has created resiliency that I can react to now in a way that works for me. It works harder for me. I've been able to flip it. So if something is challenging, I can say, okay, now I know what to do. I'm going to put my guardrails and I'm going to make sure I don't fall into the social media trap, the Netflix trap, the sugar trap. I'm going to make sure that I'm getting my exercise, my sleep, my meditation in, I'm eating right. And I can, I can, face this, whatever it is. So now I'm almost like, oh, failure, bring it on. Like, let's see how hard I can fail. Let's see. When I was interviewing for jobs, before I started at Thistle, I interviewed at all the fang companies. I interviewed at Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, um, Amazon, and I got rejected from every single one. Hmm. And even now when I'm submitting stories or the novel I wrote a few years ago, which was terrible, but at the time I was like, I'm going to I'm going to like, I'm going to make it like, this is going to happen. I have this folder in my inbox called winning at fail it failing. (laughs) And everything goes into the winning at failing folder. I'm like, okay, let's see how many failures I can get. Let's just get them on the board. I think with the writing, that's really important because you have to keep getting your work out there and you have to keep producing at the same time. There are other writers who I talk to, they aim for a hundred rejections a year. That's Mm, a lot. Yeah. And being able to like, you know, you have to fill out all of the cover letters and the submission letters and put so much time and effort and energy into it. So when you get the rejection, you can't think too much about it when you see it. You just have to put it in the folder. Okay, there's another one on the board and just keep going and know that you put yourself out there. And that's a great thing at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I, I think that now rejection and failure is something I've come to terms with and have been able to use it to make me more resilient for all the obstacles that are still to come because the higher we go in achieving our purpose and our creative, um, you know, I don't want to call it death. Like what, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, there are going to be obstacles that become greater and greater and failures and missed opportunities and so much that we need to be able to deal with it. So for me, that failure piece has just made me really resilient. So I'm almost defiant. I'm almost flippant about it. I'm like, okay, bring it on. I don't care. You know, let's do it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think dealing with rejection and dealing with failure is something that we inevitably 
come across, especially professionally. And the best thing we can do is, for me at least, I've found is just show up, have integrity, hmm. do your best work, and try not to care what other people think. Because you know, some people are just going to have an opinion, and there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is just do your best every day, and that's that's where I've I've netted out. It's um, being okay with all those things. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I thought this was, so you're actually in the process of writing your second book. Is that correct? Yeah. I've had a few false, false starts. Um, so from LA to NYC was a novel that was basically a memoir. I wrote that in pieces over the course of three years. Um, never came to fruition in the form of a book. Then I wrote a science fiction novel in 2017 um, that one is basically in manuscript mode, but it, it needs revisions. It needs work. That was my, my, here's how to make a book phase. <laughs> here's how to put it all together. It's not good, but it taught me how, how to write a book. Hmm. And then I started, I have a draft of another one that's sort of like dystopian fiction. <laughs> now I'm working on a new one that um, is, is, is coming in, in starts and stops. I've been focusing a lot on, the voice over the last couple of years is really honing in on narrative voice and coming up with characters I love. Hmm. And I think from there I'll, I'll spin out something um, in the next couple of years. I have a, a few chapters down for something I think could be um, the next book, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a process and one I I'm, I'm trying to enjoy as much as possible because um, that's, that's part of it is enjoying the journey and then, having the finished novel will be um, a bonus. Yeah. Do you, why do you write? In a, and I guess, um, is it to satisfy some sort of spiritual or personal um, goal? Or, and, and do you want to be, you know, a known writer? Or are you trying to share your perspective on the world? I, I was surprised that you said that you wrote a science fiction book because I would have presumed, based on what I've read of yours, that... Um, I could see you writing a personal, although this LA to New York City sounds like it, but sort of like your version of Eat, Pray, Love or something like that. I could, I could see that being something that you would be really good at, but um, I, I don't want to distract you from my original question, but why, why, do, you, why do you write or what, you know, what's the goal if there is one or is it just personal? I have to write to feel mm. alive and to make sense of the world around me. And mm. I've, I've always been that way since I moved to LA. I was like, what is this place? What's going on? Um, I do morning pages every day. And sometimes it's just me complaining. Sometimes I'm describing a scene. Sometimes I'm describing the weather, but just being able to flow every morning is something I have to do mm. every single day. Um, publishing to my blog for a few years, it was something I had to do once a month. Otherwise I would feel totally off. Um, writing as a whole though, regardless of the subject matter or the um the medium is is just something i have to do to make sense of things in this crazy world hmm. interesting yeah, i think that's probably gosh she's how as, as i'm editing this i'll remember exactly but i think um that's probably why i it's 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 to make sense of the insanity yeah yeah the human experience the human condition also for me, I grew up very introverted um, and I've always dealt with social anxiety. It's been really hard for me to make the most of, of things like community um, and connecting in groups. Um, I've always been just sort of a lone wolf doing my thing and writing for me has been my way to, to process um, and to kind of look at relationships from a different view. I feel that I'm not, I'm not very good at, um, communicating in a conversation, hmm. but I'm really good at process. I'm better at reading and writing than I am at talking or speaking. You see, it's like, there's a slide like, huh? but no, yeah, I think that writing for me is just an outlet to, um, to just process the world around me and process how people interact. And yeah, I, and, and it's a way for me to, um, kind of almost like, looking back on, on situations, um, just have fun with a creative perspective 
I draw a lot on what happens in real life. Um, I think a lot of writers do. And then you take your creative liberties and elaborate and change things around a lot. But everything comes from real life. Um, And that part to me, I find to be really exciting and fun. curious about two things. How do you, as a teacher, navigate a writing class? And, I, and I'll try to explain as briefly as I can. Um, everybody's at different levels. How do you, quote unquote, judge writing? Um, how, and maybe, you know, I don't know. And, and I'm certainly curious about potentially taking your class one day, because I do feel like I need to get into that rhythm of being disciplined and other writers because I I am a very lonely writer because um, I don't know I don't know other writers that that want to write books and and write fiction so I think that would be good for me but I I don't I, I couldn't imagine being a, a teacher of, of fiction or literature when it's not you know in a college per se where you kind of have to grade. And, and I'm sure in this sort of world of yours, you have people at all sorts of uh, different phases in their life and, and different um, stages as a writer. So how do you possibly put that all together? Yeah, the thing about the writer's studio that's really unique is we work with the idea uh, of a what we call a narrative persona. And the idea of the narrative persona is creating some distance between you as a writer and the narrator. And all of the feedback that I give as a teacher has to do with that. It's, are you doing what you initially set out to do with your exercise? So in each exercise, students write a preamble. And in this preamble, they identify the um, the tense for if they're writing in first person or if they're writing in third person. We only write in first or third in level one. And then also the things that they notice about the exercise they're drawing from, is the narrator close or are they distant? Are they writing in a lyrical tone? Are they writing in short sentences, long sentences? Are they writing more matter-of-factly? And then the exercise is intended to emulate what the student writes in their preamble. So all the feedback is based on that. It's how closely did you follow the piece that you were looking to emulate based on what you described in your preamble. And it gives us a sense of mastery when we're able to do that. When we can say, here are the things that I'm setting out to do, go out and do them, and then look back at it and say, now how close did I get to achieving that, that distant voice, that separate voice? In level two and level three, then we start talking about mood and we start talking about tone. We start talking about the different characteristics of, of the mood. Um, are, is the character speaking from a place of loss? Is it grief? Is it sadness? Is it joy? Hmm. And then also the tone overall, is it, um, is it, is it speaking uh, from the language of a reporter? Is it very matter of fact in that way? Is it more flowy? Is it more colloquial? Hmm. Where is it coming from, from that, from that, um, that language, um, side of things? Um, how would you, is it, because if somebody, if you're talking to a professor, they might be speaking one way, they might be speaking a different way from a child. So are you able to kind of capture, and then also, um, the way that descriptions, description can set up the tone for me. So all of those things, it's basically how we we look at the success, or we look at how a um, how well an exercise um, was crafted based on what it initially set out to do, and um, yeah, it's all about the the idea of the narrative persona and um, and through the exercises by trying on different personas, it helps us to pivot in different areas. So. Um, we use exercises that are first person, second person, fiction, poetry, to get at different narrative personas and to see where things go. Because at the end of the day, it's to have fun hmm. and really just try on different things and see what works. Because you never know. Um, 
So that part of it's really exciting. And also using exercises uh, from authors um, who who um, you may really love and never thought about what they were doing from that perspective before, zooming out a bit and saying, okay, what are they doing from a technical perspective? Let's try to capture that. And let's try to replicate it in our own stories um, with our own content uh, using that um, that um, tense, the tone of voice. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much the breakdown um, of how the exercises and the curriculum works. Then my job is to come in and, and really just um, provide any feedback I can into what worked, where are some of the opportunities to, to continue, and really any constructive feedback, you know, if the um, author wants to continue on with the exercise um, in later levels, the, the option um, to go on and build that into um, a longer story, uh, a short story is, is always there. And sometimes writers will bring in excerpts from a novel they're working on. They'll work on that the entire time. So that's that's pretty great um, too, and and well, yeah, I'm in um, the master's class now. And last semester, I worked on the same story for several weeks in a row, and it felt really good to have that community. Um, I will say that the community is incredible, um, and everybody's really good about giving feedback. Um, I think the support of feeling seen in that way, where you can be vulnerable on the page, and there's that trust within the community with the other writers is so important and being able to go from one level to the next with um, sometimes the same students is really cool too, because you get to know each other and you get to know the types of content that they, they cover the topics they gravitate towards the, the, the voice that they speak in. Um, but yeah, in level one, it's all about the narrative persona. It's about just having fun it's about seeing how close you can get to the exercise from um, what elements you're setting out to to emulate. And, um, and yeah, that's it. It's eight weeks, and we, we just um, wrapped week one, and we have a really great cohort. I'm excited. Yeah, that sounds great. I think my last point, um, if you have a comment, great. If not, it's okay because I know our time's almost up. But I think something that I it, – it, here's the thing. Um, technology um, is great. You know, we're having, we're, we're using tech right now. It makes our lives easier. But I do believe it's tricking people's value system. And I also think it's, you know, Spotify, the CEO of Spotify is, is, is wanting people to release singles every few months. Um, and, you know, everybody can start writing on medium, you know, short stories. And, and that's great. And that's, you know, this is, I'm not condemning uh, creativity and art, but, it, and it's also creating a world where creators have to, I guess in my sense as a musician, spend time on social media, promoting, uh, doing PR, photos, and listening to your story to become a great writer I think, and to become great at any art takes years and years and years. And if, if technology is, is causing people to spend time making reels, if, if Spotify and, and is suggesting just release singles, and if people's attention spans are dwindling, I, I do think it's having an immense shift in, in quality and also the creative process. And, and I think this all takes so much time to, to hone your craft and get better at writing. And, and I think just listening to you, it, I think it's a, um, I'm, I'm missing the word, but I think it's, it's really defending this idea of patience and, and, and trusting the process and, and not being critical and create, you know, you have this way in your writing of being really vulnerable. And I think if you can um, create that safe space, um, we need, I feel like we need to retrick people to not worry about the tech, but to just listen to your inner voice and, and your passion, you know? Yeah. And the ironic part is that is the type of content that people gravitate towards is the stuff that's unique and vulnerable and is doing something different. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, well, I, I really, Nicole, appreciate you taking the time. This, this, I, I always, I, I don't go to therapy now, but I always feel like it's sort of a, I, it feels very therapeutic, and I always feel better after having these talks. So, I really appreciate you taking the time. It was great to talk and get to know you a little better. Oh yeah, likewise. Thank you for reaching out. It's great to chat with you, Eddie. I really appreciate this. Um, I feel the same way. This has been such a great way to um, spend a Sunday afternoon is connecting with you and talking about creativity. Um, yeah, thank you. Of course, likewise. Um, well, have a great rest of your Sunday. Say hello to your cat. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you too. Uh, thank so, you. Yep, have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye. I, I don't know about you, but I thought that was a great talk. Nicole Safani. You can find her on Medium, read some of her articles, read her style. Again, I, I read her over the last couple of weeks. It's been a while, I think, since she's written on Medium, but I found her writing to be fantastic. She also teaches this online class at the Writer's Studio, uh, so check that out as well. Lots of teachers there. Again, I, I feel like I actually wrote a poem over the last couple of days. I was just listening to the talk. It made me think, huh, what are some new ways... To, I can I can be creative. I think I just finished an album. I just I'm in the process of finishing a book, and it feels so overwhelming to think about writing a new record, writing a new book. So maybe for me right now, it's you know writing short stories or writing poems. So hopefully, this podcast, this conversation with Nicole, inspires you to think of new ways to create, to turn off the distractions and to connect with that creative spirit inside of you. So thanks as always for listening. You know where to find me, Instagram at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Please share the show with your friends. Maybe subscribe on iTunes or write a review. And as always, thanks so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Mm-hmm.